Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo. I'm here with James Heathers from Cypher Skin. You should have said everything Christmas hurts or everything hurts Christmas or everything Yuletide or something that's a little bit more festive than your usual rushed, hurried introduction. I just want to get into the good stuff, James. But speaking of Christmas, I have my Christmas beer here. This is from a brewery which claims to be the world's most northern brewery. I'm not. I'm not really sure about that. I'm, I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are some uh, some basement breweries in uh, northern Siberia. But look, it, this is quite probably the northernmost commercial brewery, and it's it's their Christmas beer. What do you got there? What's it called? Um, it's called the classic Christmas beer from the Mac Brewery, from the world's most northern brewery. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. That's what it says. What, what do you they're got? Not, they're not big on adjectives. No, are they? no, they're, they're not. They get straight to the point. None, none, none of these fancy names for beers like you have in the states. Well, the cup that you saw before was last night's eggnog, and I'm starting to realise that a pint of whiskey from Ohio is probably too much, especially because it also has ginger brandy and Irish whiskey. Let's soften it out a bit. So I'm feeling a bit interesting. This is is a special holiday Negroni made with an incredibly rare vermouth that I pilfered from the countertop outside. <laughs> I do like a Negroni. So, but what, James? You've drunk a cocktail for lunch, and now you're going to have another cocktail, <laughs> and we're going to record an episode of Sensible Science Boy TM. Yes, fuck you. That's exactly what I'm going to do. Let's do it. But before we get into the episode proper, I want to talk about our new alternative Everything Hurts logo. How good is it? You wear the shirt, yes. Ah, <laughs> oh, that looks better than I even thought on person. That is so so good. How good is that? We have a new logo. We have put it on uh, some t-shirts and a hoodie as well. So check out the store. I think we're, we're selling them basically for cost price. We'll put a, a promo code in the show notes, and you, you can get this uh, this merch. They're for- so goddamn beautiful, oh. and I've had so many compliments so far. Mine turned up just as we were about to leave to go away for holidays. And I took them. I just stopped packing the car and started ripping packages open. And um, I couldn't not bring one away with me. The fit is excellent. The logo is very metal. I, I really like it. Um, I'm, I'm really happy with how it came out. The artist, Garrett, did an amazing job. So impressed. Um, I love the details. The printing of whoever you chose to do this has wonderful detailing. Um, the shirts feel nice. The cotton, the cotton is good. The delivery was quick. I don't think we've ever done merch where I've genuinely thought, I don't know how we could make that any better, literally. And it's so fucking metal. I'm stuck. I can't wait to get my shirt. I've, I've ordered one for, for me and the missus. Maybe I should do a onesie for the baby. <laughs> oh, That'd be nice. Everything stabs Every- baby edition. <laughs> Put everything in the mouth. Okay, now we've got uh, we've got a cracker of a question, a cracker of an episode, which is uh, a, a listener question or a set of question, set of questions from a listener um, who was sent in these questions anonymously. And I'm going to jump straight in and give a bit of context because uh, there's a number of questions they want to ask, but uh, I think it's important to talk about the context behind the question. So I'll jump straight in. Okay, listener says, 
For some context, I've completed honours, uh, which is a four-year bachelor's degree in Australia for a bit of background just this year, and I'm reconsidering my previous ambitions to commence a master's in 2022 in neuropsychology. I have received a PhD scholarship, uh, congratulations, in Melbourne, and I'm currently starting the process of negotiating what the potential PhD program might look like. I picked my supervisors as I had previously worked with them. They are genuinely lovely people, like you, and both are competent in their fields. I also wanted to finish with some industry skills at the end in case academia does not work out and thought a collaboration that enabled work at the intersection of social psychology and cognitive science would work well. Broadly, I wanted to, or want to do a computational social science type work on the research topic, which I, want, which I would build skills and might position me for industry or academia afterwards. Now, the problem is I'm seriously considering whether it is a wise decision to commence with the four-year PhD, although my intellectual interests remain. The national and international situation related to the pandemic has only amplified this. I thought receiving the scholarship would allay my anxiety, but it has only increased my anxiety after considering the opportunity costs, such as earning potential, putting off building my life outside, the ability to save and invest, will be off the table. Even if I complete the PhD program with my sanity intact, which is moderately unlikely, and proceed to have a successful career trajectory in academia, which is highly unlikely, I'm wondering what on earth I'll even teach or research afterwards. Academic psychology appears to be a mess. It is not like the subjects build on each other. (laughs) Rather, rather, they seem to borrow from different fields. Statistics is the only subject that appears to have some progression, and even that is a mess. And here is where I am now. It is almost as if I have followed my heart into psychology and the rational part of me has woken up and asked what the earth I have done. What on earth have I done? I'm, I'm seriously considering not continuing with a master's or a PhD. I'm considering instead taking the year to find out what my other tangible long-term, long-term options are because the opportunity cost of continuing into postgrad study is too high for me not to have a concrete plan. A clinical psych master's is something somewhat appealing because it is a vocation. I would also want to eventually scale up my own business if I went down this avenue. I'm considering, I am considering anything but a PhD, including moving off the grid, but I want to make my decisions consciously and know why I do or do not go want to go ahead with it. Okay, that is the background, and there is a. That's a hell of a. That's a hell of a context, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, and th- this is. Also, probably a context that's shared in part by many, many people who have the poor sense to listen to us, um, even if there's little pieces of that that are directly relevant. Some of it will be, some of it won't be. You get the drift. And what follows this is a mighty, a mighty rack of questions that are specific to the context that you just heard. There are 12 mutual questions, four questions each, and five questions that are asked of other people in this process, making this the single most comprehensive <laughs> set of questions <laughs> ever ever received by anyone anywhere ever. We're, we're gonna give epic. it. We're gonna give it a go. I'm not sure how many questions we're gonna get through, but we're, we're gonna give, we're gonna give it a, a red hot. It's go. the holidays, Daniel. But you have good cheer. Mm. Drink your stupid fucking northerly dick face, Jim, <laughs> and we will try. Let us do it. Okay. First question: Would you have any advice on how I can even decide whether to commence the PhD, James? <clears throat> yeah, I'd have fucking lots. Um. 
do you know what my, my, my first thought is that's immediately tangentially related to this? If you had to bet on someone who wrote to us being successful in any endeavor that they were in, and you all you had to go on was the sort of tenor of the questions, would you bet that this is someone who's got their shit together asking the questions in the first place? Absolutely. Yeah. So this is this is like a top one percent series of questions in the first place, and with ability and drive and options, a lot of the time comes indecision, because you can see the pros and cons of everything. You're good at pushing the sort of breadth of your perspective out to contain all the information, and then you think. Well, you know, I think of myself as kicking ass. I'm not sure which path to choose. So there is an there is an anxiety here that is not PhD in or out flavored. There's an anxiety here that is, I want to get a complicated decision right. And the first thing that I would say honestly is, anyone who writes this, I look, I don't think even sort of medium term you're going to get anything wrong. I think you're trying to make the right decision and the character of your decision making makes me feel like you can take a big breath when it comes to, will all my shit be reasonably successful? (laughs) (laughs) I just get the overwhelming impression that it will. In other words, I think that the decision to commence for something like this really is deeply personal and that if you are- coming at either the decision to leave something like this alone or the decision to get into it in its entirety. You you really need to commit to whichever one it is that you choose. And it needs to go into planning towards what you want to do. Now, that sounds really fucking trite, but it brings me to my second point. My second point is a lot of people who are going into a research environment like this, thinking about it, they don't really have a long-term plan. Well, we've both probably known a lot of boring suburban McFuck people. Picket fets, 2.3 children, they keep the 0.3 in a jar because he's disgusting. Um, now, a lot of the time you might think, oh, how boring, right? But as half-assed and regular as it was, those boring cocksuckers that we grew up with always had a plan. And the plan really was to be a boring cocksucker. And to do a thing, meet a person, make a money, go and live in the same fucking suburb as their parents did, right? Produce children, send them to the same school that they did, continue to do a work so, for both so of them. So many microchips. <laughs> yes, yes. But you see, the thing is, I mean, you look at that and you think, how fucking boring, Right? How utterly unlike me. That does not negate the fact that they had a plan. And they've executed on that. I'm not saying that they're not happy. They're probably fucking delighted with it. The point is, no matter what you think of the kind of boldness of their choices and how interesting they are as people, they had a plan and they executed. Now, was it a regular boring ass suburban plan? Yes, that doesn't make it not a plan. 
And this is what, you know, you go, oh, I get the feeling. That's all I've gone into the academicals, all the fucking regular middle class dipshits that I used to know. It all seems to have fallen into place with them. They have something you don't. And it's not just familial support or more money or they marry the first person who'd fuck them twice or whatever. They have a plan. And there's no statement here, and there really is in a context like this, of just exactly what is it that, like, this seriously compels me. Because if this was, this, this is the thing, there's like one question, but social science or, you know, actual science. Sorry, psychologist, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> um, if there was something, like, I can't imagine not being able to spend some time on this because it's utterly compelling to me. Choice made. But if it's a matter of, well, I want to put all these sort of strategic things together because it might be useful in some context, choice not made. Yeah? It's very hard to strategically fall in love with a research subject. Yeah? Generally, you're compelled or you're not. So, I know this is very long-winded, but I think this is probably the most important question out of the whole rack of these. So, it was worth doing. So, I'll do some 30-second ones in a while, I promise. Right? So, when you are not compelled. I was I was compelled. I couldn't even really describe what it was a lot of the time. I knew I wanted to do it. I knew I wasn't done with the process, the thing. I, I had this overwhelming feeling that something was missing. Um, and, you know, because of the wrinkles in the, the sort of money situation, that was fine. And I just sort of got on with it. It was, um, I was, I was compelled, not in a very focused way, not particularly well, but that's, that's where you end up. Now, when you're thinking about it, when you're looking at it, you're going, because I mean, you think about making this decision about love, you're like, hmm, I love this woman, but I'm pegging that love at maybe a 6.5. Hmm. This is a think of this as a, a tempered love, <laughs> skim love. I can't believe it's not affection. Right? Yeah. It's a fucking bonkers way to talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's much it's much easier to be compelled to do it. And I think a lot of people are. They're either compelled or they're indecisive and they don't know what the fuck they're gonna do. Right? Anyway, I've spent a lot of time on that. Maybe you'd like to spend a lot of time on sort of the future questions because you nodded a lot, which means you agree with me. Yeah, look, I think that there's two things I want to talk about with this first question. Um, firstly, firstly, um, <laughs> firstly, with these for, for, for this uh, for this initial question is that you, whoever you are, you already have a ton of advantages that a lot of people don't have when they're considering a PhD program. Uh, you have supervisors who are nice and who you get along with and who you've worked with previously, so you know it's going to be a good match. Um, you have a topic which has a lot of legs and uh, potentially if you want to go into industry with the computational element, which is also very attractive if academia doesn't work out. And you also have a scholarship lined up. So, already you have a massive head start compared to other people if that's going to help you make your decision. But secondly, the other thing which really stood out is reading this, this is almost 
exactly my story or exactly how how I experienced undergrad. I did my uh, undergrad, my honours, and I was sort of at a crossroads thinking, do I want to go and do a clinical clinical master's or do I want to go into research? And I really wasn't sure. I didn't have a lot of these advantages. Um, I didn't have uh, I didn't have a, um, a, a scholarship lined up at the time. Um, I didn't really have a future plan. I wasn't even considering this uh, beyond sort of what happens after the PhD. And I actually took the year off to decide and become a research assistant. And I thought, okay, I'll be I'll be a research assistant for a year or two. And if I really like it, I'll continue to do research. And if I don't, I'll go back into to the clinical path. Um, I realized I like research, but I also realized that research can give opportunities to work overseas. Um, I don't think this is something that you're considering, um, but for me, um, I, I just started I, I just started dating my my, my now wife, and I knew I was going to be. Uh, probably following her back to Norway, and uh, that helped me make help me make my decision as well. But um, essentially, having that year off helped me decide that yes, I want to do research. Um, but yeah, so if you do want to take that particular uh, year off, which is something that you've suggested, that can be helpful. But you already have a number of a, a number of huge advantages for the type of work that you're doing, for the supervisors that you have, and for the scholarship as well. But uh, but yeah, reading I was like, boy, that's 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 almost exactly my story. Um, okay, second question: uh, Are there any questions in particular that you think are important to ask pers- prospective supervisors? Yes, but this is an easy one. Uh, can I talk to the people who are in this lab without you being present? Can I talk to the people who you've already graduated? Can I get a list of people who used to work here? In general. Um, Basically, am I allowed? To, am I allowed to have unsupervised communication with people who either work here now, uh, used to work here, or graduated from here? James, I had a job interview. Uh, I, I conducted a job interview a couple of days ago. I was on a panel, and um, mm-hmm. it, was, it was for a project that I was leading. And we asked the candidate, "Do you have any questions?" And the candidate said, "Can I contact PhD students in your lab to ask what it's like working in your lab?" And straight away, I was like, "Yes, great question. Maybe they listen to the podcast, James." I don't know, but uh, I, I was very I pleased. Sincerely, I sincerely hope so. I was very, I was very pleased to hear that question, and uh, immediately I'm like, "Yep, here are my students. Go ahead." I was very glad to hear yep. that question. But you knew that was going to be because I've been banging on about this for years. So you, you, <laughs> but look, you, it's sensible. You knew, you knew that shit was going to happen. Well, yeah, of course. Yeah, but but I think I mean this person also has an advantage because they've worked with the supervisors previously, uh, so they already know what the context is like. Um, but. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think a second question would be as well, um, how, in what ways can you help uh, a potential industry transition, I think, uh, I think especially for this particular person, because a, a, lot, a lot of academics would just shrug going, I have no idea. And that's fine to sort of admit that, but, but perhaps they would have, have, some, have some ideas for how they could help them transition into academia. Because one thing is, if you see a supervisor who freaks out at the mention of, I am considering potentially going to industry afterwards. That's maybe a bit of a red flag. Giant. Because because it's normative. Because it's 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 normative. It has to be. It's mathematically normative in every single field, including fields where uh, industry has the most astonishing pull for sucking people out of the um sucking people out of the uh, uh, general. Uh, workforce, the academic workforce, and pushing them elsewhere. Uh, mining, different forms of engineering, uh, geology, whatever. Um, places where there's a lot of money sitting around. Um, even they have um, 
like it's it, it like saying where it's normal where it's normal where it's not normal uh, it's that is literally the normative answer everywhere so if you're planning for it beforehand that makes you sensible and strategic and if people don't agree with that because you need to think the same way they do then they can fuck off and die okay we have 12 of these to get through dan i don't see a sense of urgency from you okay <laughs> next one how do people make phds work financially you are supposed to treat the degree like a regular regular 40-hour week, and students commonly fail to do so. However, what full-time job pays about $450 Australian per week and expects, expects this? You are not supposed to work more than eight hours a week outside of this. I thought I could at least work two, three, four days a week if I needed to. Okay, this is probably very Australia-specific, but I guess there are some parallels with other- It, it is. It, it, what, like, so, there's PhD students are poor. There's parallels to no, that. No, no, no. That, okay. that, that, is, that is true, but I'm talking about the numbers. But yeah, go on. All right, so um, very obvious things. Obviously, everyone I ever knew who did a PhD, um, they either were in the actually quite unusual scenario where it was still possible for them to live live at home. That's or, very strange. They, they they lived in a share house somewhere. Um, second of all, um, pretty much everyone taught classes. Um, they either lectured if they had the right kind of experience or the right kind of context, and you know the people who taught a course liked them. Um, I did occasionally, but you know. So likable. Um, so there was a lot of uh, there's a lot of uh, teaching classes. Um, third, uh, the whole sort of supposed to job thing. Honestly, like the vast majority of the time, I don't think the tax department is checking on shit like that. And you've got to make up your fucking hours where people, hours were made up. So I know people who kept bar, um, worked in trades. Um, I met a girl who was a stripper once and a grad student. Um, she probably had it figured out better than anyone. Probably earning more honest. than more than more, more than all this. Good, good for her. And what, no, no, it's more than that, Dan. So, like, think about when you work. Yeah, if you're a stripper, out of hours. Yeah, right. Yeah, think about wh- what form your income comes in. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Right? <laughs> right. And then think about how the official record keeping works of you. Being at a place at a time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> yeah. She was. She was real clever in retrospect. Um, I think she's one of those hard-eyed motherfuckers who had it all worked out. She was cool. Um, <laughs> I'm. I'm not. I'm not going to say a name in case uh, there's anyone uh, she's working with now and she's still out there somewhere who doesn't actually know that that's how she made money. Um, we thought it was awesome. Um, <laughs> so you, but well, basically, look, you 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 mix all that together and uh, you live frugally and badly. Um, I mean, it is just the it's there's there's a degree to which. The whole idea that you're starting your career and shit is difficult and you're not supposed to have a lot of money just by virtue of the circumstances mixes in with this scenario is exploitative and unpleasant and you're underpaid. There's always a line, yeah, between this. I think of this as like two tectonic plates meeting and something coming out of the middle, yeah? And it can amount to shit being horribly abusive and unpleasant and you're, 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 you're desperately underpaid and you need proper support. You mix in any other problems that you've got, and obviously it, it sort of counts as exclusionary. But but at the same time, um, <coughs> sorry, the vermouth in this Negroni is like changing my religion. <laughs> um, but I mean, 
honestly, it's 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 a difficult it's a difficult dance for for everyone to work out, and you know it depends entirely on what you've done, and uh, people who are committed to doing it either like moderate their expectations and eat a lot of free department food, um, and people who think that's pretty fucking horrible and unacceptable just don't don't walk the path. I st- um, I still have th- whenever I hear like that there's free food I still it's taken me so long to kick that habit of like oh, there's free food I I go I got to get at it that got to save some money <laughs> all the way back in my PhD days it's still it's dude, still there maybe not the for first you. the first six months I worked at what is ostensibly a tech company and I realized that there was always food. <laughs> It was really, really hard because you know we got we got good snacks. We got pistachio nuts and cashews and uh, teriyaki beef jerky and Pringles and a, a, a wide variety of Asian snacks. Recently, like wasabi peas, shit like that. Um, sometimes more substantial stuff. That's that's real snacks, and it's hard not to like. People talk about the freshman fifteen, or you go to college and they feed you three meals a day. You do all this stuff, and suddenly you put in a whole bunch of weight because you're not in high school doing like regimented sport and you're out drinking and skipping sleep. Yeah, exactly the same shit applies for tech companies. And I think part of the the reason why I was sort of like I didn't really give a fuck about a three dollar packet of beef jerky, but part of the reason was just. Like that grad student button was being pushed. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's so hard to shape. And I'm there, I'm there, like, like I'm like, I'm like the first dude here. Like the email sent out, like you know, free cake and pizza. And I'm like, I'm like a freaking senior researcher, and I've like beat the other PhD students here. Ah, oh, it's terrible. PhD students. Oh dear, it's terrible. I, I mean, I, well, I mean, look that that really does that really does answer. Like honest, honestly, it's a it's a messy. It's a messy deal of what you can work out and what you um, what 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 needs to be figured. And you think, well, Jesus Christ! I mean, it's a little bit too fucking low. Yeah, it's a little bit too low because it goes into a market of a place where we make far too many of, um, you know, our our R rates, our reproduction rates for researchers making more researchers are far higher than they need to be. So this is uh, this this is what happens with like supply and demand and shit in the meantime. I mean, we would wish it otherwise, but here we are. That leads on to- Anyway, I'm trying to, I'm trying to, trying to push that one out of the way. It leads because, to the uh, next question. Yeah, exactly. Go on. Why do people generally leave academia or not continue after their PhD despite obvious potential? Okay. So, let me lay all of this out quickly and then you can add um, anything that you feel like adding. Um, he said, as the Negroni is really kicking in now. <laughs> this is going to be um, a good episode. <laughs> uh, first of all, first of all, about a third of people in general leave a program before they finish their PhD. Let's not forget them. It's a perfectly legitimate choice to knock it on the head after two years, call it a master's and leave or just fucking quit. Especially if something better comes along, especially if you're in a bad environment, especially if et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, why do people generally leave academia after their PhD? In general, the bulk of it is because there's an enormous undifferentiated middle of people who do graduate degrees. And they know a lot of the time that whatever kind of golden girl, golden boy behavior bullshit is going on in any given department, it's not going to work out for them. 
Um, in general, you have to travel to do a postdoc. It's very uncommon to just sort of walk down the road and get a uh, post PhD. A little job. bit more common in Australia. Little bit more common in Australia, yes. Um, but there's also very, very few fully uh, funded like DACA postdocs. Sure. Um, as opposed to, I think there might be like if you just took like Harvard Med um, or Children's Hospital of Philadelphia or the um, University of California hospital system, I think they might have more postdocs in them, those individual ones, than literally Australia. Yeah, I'd say so too. <laughs> yeah. So, the swings swings and roundabouts. Um, also, to a lot of people, a postdoc feels like more of the same. Um, you know, it's foreign, it's poorly compensated, it's far, it's hard, it's a continuation. Um, it's a continuation of the same shit. Um, simply for like the vast majority of the time, but look, the vast majority of it of people who leave um, is because it's either um, directionless or unpleasant in during the process. Um, and the vast majority of people who like get to the other side and then do not stay within it, I think probably I would say two thirds, seventy percent of people. If we had infinite academic jobs, right? And everyone who finished a PhD had the option. I think two thirds, seventy percent of them would take one. Other people would say this, like this thing, like it really isn't for me. I've got something else in mind. Plenty of people fucking like quit and start a bakery, or become a scuba instructor, you know, or like move to the shitty part of the Maldives and live on two dollars a day. Well, this person, this, this person is thinking of like going off grid as an option as well. So off grid could be the Maldives. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but I mean. I mean, what's the the eventual throughput? I mean, in the immediate sense, I think for f- like full time, actual, honest to Christ, proper academic positions is three percent. Um, I think if the op- opportunity was infinite, it would be more like seventy percent. Yeah, for sure. I'd, I'd say that's about right. Okay, so we have a delta that's like literally two thirds of the people, which means regardless of how we split the numbers up, that's that's in general that's that's what happens. Like full stop, end of story. Anything else, Dan? No, I got nothing to add. We'll go to the next question. Okay. In what form do you think universities will be around in five to ten years? Um, I'll, I'll this is easily the hardest question of the whole lot. Go. Uh, I think a lot of the sort of Ivy Leagues or the Ivy League equivalents won't really change much. They will say they're changing a lot, but they won't. There'll be a bit more hybrid stuff, but it won't really change that much. Uh, I think there's going to be – I've seen a few different new offerings in the space of higher education. One, which was quite intriguing – um, was uh, a few which are sort of a bit more vocational. There was one, it's um, they offer a, I'm not sure whether it's a degree, but they offer a training program and they put their money where their mouth is where they say, we'll train you and we you will only pay us back if you get a job. And when you get a job, you will pay back, I don't know what, what it was, like 10% of your income until you pay back the degree. So, they were, they were saying, we are so confident in our offering that you're going to that, that you're, you're you're going to be so horrible that you're going to get a job that you don't have to pay a cent until you get the job, and then when you get the job, then you will pay us back. Um, I've seen a few. Cr- do you know what? Do you know what this is called? Uh, I, I I have to find it. Look, it, it has there has been a few critiques around them sort of messing around with their numbers for how successful their candidates have been. I'll see if I can yeah, find it's, it. It's 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 bullshit. That's long 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 story short. Anything like this where, where, where people say, I'm, I'm going to come up with a fucking broad new take on the entire business model of higher education. Um, people think it's going to be hard. 
It's much harder than that. It's very, very, we are talking about one of the most regulated, constrained, restrictive industries you could possibly imagine as an innovation space. It is very, very difficult to have, I mean, exactly the same applies to, I'm going to do a new uh, ecosystem for academic publishing. I'm going to write, do a new type of journal. I'm going to do a system that it takes away journals entirely. I'm going to review, I'm going to do one of James's cockamamie fucking quixotic dickhead ideas. Like <laughs> I'm going to figure out how to pay peer reviewers, ah. <laughs> blockchain tokens and fucking whatever. All of it is because there is so much, you have to understand how old the idea of getting a degree in higher education is. You have to understand how fucking old that is. Like when this started, the idea that you you became learned from the place and that affected your work. And then that was split into kind of like academical things and trades, et cetera, et cetera. You have to understand this is like 800 years old. It's way older than the idea of school. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. It's older than the idea of putting people in the stocks. <laughs> it's older than the fucking actual honest to Christ black plague. <laughs> it's older than a lot of countries. Right? What's the oldest university? The one in Italy? Yeah. It's, it's Genoa or uh, Padua or something Padua like that. Genoa, yeah, it's yeah. Thir- 13th, 13th yeah. century or some, some shit like that. Yes. Started under the fucking auspices of, of Prince uh, Genital DeMarco. I fucking <laughs> have no idea, Daniel. <laughs> it's I old. It's old. It in ages. Old. Yeah. And the like massive universities, Oxford- uh, Cambridge, most of Italy, honestly, the place is <laughs> super, super duper fucking old. But I mean, in, in, uh, Göttingen, obviously, in Germany. Um, I think Heidelberg's the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, these things entirely, the whole idea of places of learning, giving you a thing and it meaning something, and then you turning into like this, the cultural hangover of this is fucking gigantic. Gigantic. It's not like all of a sudden we're going to stop doing web two SaaS businesses and we're going to start looking at web three yeah. models of fucking distributed ownership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And people think, oh, that's incredibly innovative. Um, you are fighting against hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of how we understand what it means to be formally educated. Um, academic journals is similar. I mean, there's some that are like 300, 400 years old. I mean, they've changed a lot over time. But, I mean, I frequently read papers that are 100 years old for fun, even now. They're they're written very well, some of them. A lot of the time, what they did, especially in physiology, Dan, is they cocked about until they found a central thing, a central observation, a central premise, a thingy. Right? Well, they didn't need no statistics. But they were talking about like some combination of some observations in the thing. So they got like Larry from down the corridor and, and Gertrude the fucking uh, the parlor maid or some shit like that. They started poking them with sticks and they, they, they did their observations, you know? Or dogs or children they found in the street or some shit like that. And they turned those observations into things that were a little bit more formal. But they did it on the basis of like, oh, here's my oh shit. There we are. Observation. Right? Um, they are- Look, 
that it's it's easy to find papers that are older than a lot of universities themselves. It's easy to read like classic physiology from the um like it would be 150 years old now. Um, some of the, the classic observations in circulatory and autonomic physiology, at least 150 years old. Yeah, the oxytocin older than your university. That, that, so that so years. what I'm what I'm talking about is when we say. Well, there's going to be an innovation environment and we're going to fucking change everything. The entire cultural hangover, as long as it exists, mixed in with all the incentives, make it really, really hard. So, I I retain the possibility that lightning will strike and someone will figure out the right way to be able to crack open one of these boxes. And there's lots of people trying. Yeah. I had conversations with lots of entrepreneurs in this space, and I always tell them the same thing, and they all, they're always fully confident, which they should be. That's the right way to be if you're going to do that. And I'm persistently right, and they're persistently poor, um, which gives me no pleasure. If they came back you know, with that $80 million valuation of their new fucking thing, and they went, ah, suck it, James. <laughs> Fuck you. With like two two dueling middle fingers, and I was wrong. I would I would relish my wrongosity. <laughs> uh, it just hasn't happened yet. Yeah, um, I'm only trying to give them normative advice, um, which shouldn't stop you if you have the right sort of vision and the right kind of context. So, unfortunately, what I see I me mean, this is a super depressing answer. I mean, you could feel me like skating around this and not getting to the point because look, here's the fucking low down dirty ass truth I see a worse version of right now in five to ten years okay I see different pieces of this system having death throes I see higher burdens of debt more difficult circumstances um I see more people living in fucking cars I see more of the shitty same because as much as you think We've stressed every element of this as far as we can go, and it can't go any further. I've listened to people say that for almost 20 years now, yeah. and we keep finding another bit of it we can fucking stretch. Yeah. And the people who run the joint, these hard-eyed, flinty, neoliberal cocksuckers who run the joint, yeah, they will always find another way to make everything fucking worse for the people who actually do the work. Yeah. Because they're just shitty little demons who have no interest. They're only interested in the outcomes and not in the people who make up the outcomes. Full stop, end of story. You know? That's why your vice chancellor used to run a fucking hedge fund. They don't give a fuck about academia. They don't give a fuck about you. And that's why in five to ten years, I see a kind of gradual, continual dilution. And in five to ten years, people will be saying, oh, I can't possibly get any worse than this. It's as bad as it's ever been. When they're saying that right now. And they said that when funding was hollowed out in Australia in 2003 um, and when um, and when there were all those uh, the shitty changes to the, uh, the degree admissions in 2011 or 2012 in Australia or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. It can't possibly get any worse. Fucking can. Yeah. And I want to say to this particular question asker that the, the grant situation in Australia right now is horrible. What's happening it's now? It's very bad. I mean, I only get this in the news. I do, now don't know enough people who are working in it, but I can extrapolate from the shit that's in the news. Shit and show. It's bad. What's happening? Talk, Dan. What, what's happening now with the Australian Research Council? They're delaying the reporting of outcomes. Absolutely horrible. It's a very, very bad environment. Uh, so winning grants uh, is 
very, very difficult and it's just a harrowing experience in Australia right now. And I, I guess it's the same in a lot of other countries. Okay, next question. Are one-year progress reports from the PhD committee enough to stay on track? Um, look, I don't see- No. Yes, I, I don't see that much value in these reports. Essentially, like unless you have done literally nothing for the first year- you will always get a tick of like, well, they've got a plan and things are on track. So, I don't really see that much value in these progress reports. Okay, running out of time. Well, not really, but- No, 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 that's that's easy. Yeah. Uh, identify two to three other people who are not your- Like, talk to fucking people. The fucking internet exists for a reason. Yeah. Talk to people. Identify two to three other people who will help you with how everything is constructed. Talk to them for half an hour once every two months. Not a big commitment or something like that. People who are invested in your idea, who are like going to keep track of you. Don't call it anything. Don't go, will you be my mentor, Professor Dumbledore? Just invest people in your idea. Two. Two people. Right? Even if they're only peripherally connected, like someone who's done it, even not necessarily be an academic. People to keep a fucking eye on it. Forget about the formal progress report environment. It's bullshit. It's box ticking. It has to exist just so like phantom students don't go through the system where the university gets paid for doing nothing. Done. Next, Next question. question. What utility do PhDs hold inside and outside of academia? Apparently, skills matter more than a topic and you have a better chance of getting a postdoc, etc. if you have worked on a hot topic. Then if you've worked on a hot topic with a well-known supervisor, well, this is something that we've spoken about before on the show, about the importance yep. of getting a skill or a number of skills. And I mm-hmm. think this will make you a much more versatile researcher because this is transferable between fields. You never know if your field is going to become the next mirror neurons or yep. w- whatever or, 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 um, or, or priming. But if you have a particular skill that you can apply within different research fields, then you can adapt and adapt very quickly. And if you happen to have picked the very hot skill, you know, machine learning, which is the thing now, or, or doing whatever, then you are going to be a very, very attractive candidate. James? Uh, skills kill. I don't give a fuck. I mean, you, went, you went to Yale? Cool. You went to the uh, Southern Maine Central College of Bumfuckery? Cool. Can you actually do voxel-based analysis that's not embarrassing social neuroscientific bullshit? Right? Uh, can you do like do do you do you have enough raw understanding of Python to pick this project up that someone else was working on three months ago where I don't have any decent comments? Uh, can you can you go through? this enormous amount of shit that I have was available in three weeks to be able to turn something into something else. Um, I, I don't give a fuck what you did your degree. But people that I hire, I don't give a fuck. I mean, a lot of the time I'm hiring people where um, I don't even know where the place is. <laughs> I don't fucking know. There's like a thousand institutions in the US, mate. It's very difficult to- Yeah. Yeah. There's some place in Michigan. I'm like, oh, sounds cool. It's called Badger Rambler U. Cool. Maybe they've got badgers. Anyway, (laughs) what did you do? What can you do? Right? And if we're going to sit around and wait for it, like, oh, I only want people from MIT and Caltech and Stanford to work for my organization, is what- Losers and weirdos say, and everyone knows it. So, what utility do PhDs hold inside and outside academia? Outside, quite a lot when it comes to 
we will credit you outside academia. I can talk about this now without feeling like a total fucking hypocrite. We will credit you with a strong and deep understanding in and around your central topic of choice. Now, um, I work for a company that builds medical wearables. Literally everything I ever did in my PhD and uh, when I was ostensibly in charge of a laboratory. They put you in charge. (laughs) They paid me, Daniel. Wow. (laughs) And you didn't hang around to find out, you fucking traitor. (laughs) I went north. So, 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 um, you you rack all that stuff up together and you call it like, this is, I have a doctorate in a thing, right? Now, outside of that thing, it matters. So, what was, I, what was I saying before? Skills are important, right? And then we have like the PhD, the credibility fucking thingy, right? These are two separate worlds. We will credit you with a tremendous amount of uh, insight and understanding into a specific topic on a thing from a PhD. So, if a PhD very well fits a inside or outside academic job, you will get a tremendous head start over anyone else who's applying for a thing. It's important. It's very important. But in general, skills pay bills. I don't give a fuck who your supervisor was. So inside academia, oh, come on. Everyone knows the rules for inside academia. Fancier is better. Topic du jour, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not going to be able to explain that better right now. Holy fucking shit. I think that was, I think there was napalm in that last cocktail. I'm slowly losing the will to live. We'll go to the next question. How can, yeah, we probably should. How can one start the PhD prepared enough to finish it on time and earlier? I want to answer this question first. And this actually brings me to a, a related question of, um, I was, I'll, I'll get to the point eventually. I was a very sort of paranoid parent before we had our first kid. And reading all the books and sort of trying to get all this advice. And then I read something somewhere which said that if you are reading this book and which is which is on parenting advice, stop worrying. The fact that you're asking this question means that your kid will be okay. And I think it's the same with this particular question or when it comes to actually, will I finish my PhD on time? If you were this concerned about finishing your PhD on time and thinking about planning ahead, so you can be prepared enough to finish it on time. The very fact that you're asking this question, you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Um, the the vast the vast majority of clever or motivated people um finish a PhD on time. I mean, I finished a week early because even while I was emigrating, I sat down and wrote it all out, and that was the thing. It was the end of the story. My 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 wife wrote her entire dissertation in six weeks. Do not try. And finish your PhD six months early. Enjoy the time that not you have. Recommended. Not, not recommended. <laughs> don't don't try and kill yourself trying to get it done early. Enjoy the process because it is the only time that you can just try dumb shit, figure stuff out, read the thing that you're interested in. You will not if you if you are continuing academia, you will not get this opportunity again to 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 follow your curiosity. So don't kill yourself trying to finish it super, super early. If you're finding you all your way ahead of time, try and fulfill your curiosity because you're never going to get that chance again in your career if you're going to continue in academia. Next question. I'm wondering what keeps academic going. I may be jaded, 
but lab environments don't seem collaborative and academics seem to be ruled by the admin people <laughs> and the hedge fund managers or whoever. They also seem to make them- <laughs> There's just no hedge fund <laughs> managers or you're talking about. Um, I, they also <laughs> seem to make their money off students, i.e. the customer. I see a reverence for science and people trying to game the system, but not people wanting to seek truth in science. I now wonder how much of academia is motivated by pride, comfort, and not knowing what else to do. In my mind, I'm exaggerating a little bit, the PhD journey is coming to resemble an abusive relationship between the student and the uni, facilitated by the supervisor who hopefully gets something out of it. I assume it only gets worse from here. Well, this is easily the bleakest question. Super bleak. Um, um, but this is, yeah. This is uh, like when uh, when the veils fall and we have to deal with thoughts like this, and I understand it completely. I would say what keeps a lot of people going is, I mean, there is a tremendous degree. You have to understand, I mean, like young people of the world, young people of Hertz Nation, just how little collective resistance a lot of middle-aged people throw out to shit that happens to them. You get locked into stuff by your life, your university, your children, your life, your sick parents, your fucking brother who's in and out of rehab. It doesn't matter. You end up with responsibilities with a capital R. And why don't you just fucking leave and do something else is a 25-year-old person question. And you ask it to a 50-year-old person, they'll give you a look like, I don't have a fucking option that looks like that. Are you fucking kidding me? I get two kids who are halfway through their fucking two and a half and one and a half years of private school and I can't move. It's just not the thing. So, what, what keeps people going a lot of the time is the regular everyday boring ass churn of normal middle class fuck face life. <laughs> That's what keeps them going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the fact that they have to put one foot in front of the other. And when everything's okay, honestly, a lot of them are pretty happy. The normative person in the normative situation is probably pretty happy. And that includes your fucking associate professor and whatever. Yeah, it's hard. And yeah, it's a, you know, but they don't wake up. No one tries to fucking shoot them on the way to the bakery. The fucking water comes out of the tap. And they've, they've got all sorts of concerns, you know, and they're afraid that someone down the block's got a bigger inflatable Santa Claus than them, but it doesn't really matter. So, in general, the vast majority of things that people do have got lock-in, yeah? It's just how life works in capitalist right now. You end up in a situation where it's like super irresponsible. You've made commitments to literally the entire ecosystem of your life around you that make it really difficult to back out. And it's hard to fight against that. You have to be a fucking like super committed or a freak or incredibly skilled or a real weirdo. Or you have to throw the whole thing overboard and have a fucking mental breakdown and move to a Aruba to fuck a sea turtle. Like, and that's the majority of the time. Because believe me, there's a fucking middle, there's there's a million other middle management shitty jobs somewhere where nothing makes anything sense and everything's perpetually confused and you're an even less important cog in an even bigger machine that does even dumber stuff. Academics think, oh, 
God, no one has ever suffered under the fucking yoke of pointless <laughs> oppression anywhere near as much as me. As if, as if Dilbert uh, was just something that happened to other people. You uh, know? <laughs> it's, so, it's, it's so true. Yeah. So, look, there's plenty of people who manage. I, all, I, all I'd say to this is gravitate towards the people who managed to keep the spark alive. In general, people did this shit for a reason. And it's very hard. It's much easier to be the fucking assistant manager of jerking off the cows at Big Dairy Inc. It's it's much more straightforward to do that, really, for your life. Um, but gravitate towards the people who managed to 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 keep the spark alive, or why they gave a shit, why they tried to stick things back together, or the processes that are broken that it helps a little bit more. But people who are reasonably indefatigable and just get on with it like it's their fucking job. Yeah, because there's plenty. Look, you look at all the processes. If all you look at it is processes, you're going to have a bad time. You're going to be depressed forever. You've got to look at the people. You've got to gravitate towards the people who are doing the right stuff and who are happy to do the right stuff and who don't expect everything to change in a day. If all you do is hang out with fucking Marxists and loonies who want to burn everything and like bring everything together from the ashes in six months, you're going to have a bad time as well. Because they can't do what they're trying to do. How many times, Dan, have you heard some proposal from some person who's like, we should do this? And you think, we should. <laughs> the chances of you being able to do that are fucking zero. All the time, mate. You neophyte. Question 10. I've been told that the PhD is the only program that offers solid research training and the ability to do your original research, something an industry job does not offer. Even if I accept, no. even if I accept these premises, now- I now wonder what it is all for. No, 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 no. There's a million fucking, there's a million uh, uh, private research training courses and people who tell you something. There's plenty of companies who fucking um, pay a reasonably small amount of money. Like think about what it would cost for them to like fund you to do a master's or something like that. A ton of money. It's uh, much cheaper than to throw $5,000 into a consultant and have you go into like one small class called how to know a thing that runs an hour a week for 13 weeks. Shit like that is like amazingly common. Um, If you push back and go, I really need to know this thing formally. There's so many fucking ways to find out. The pantheon of opportunities within this for people who have money and want to make something happen for you is, is tremendous. And it's it's hugely undersold within the context of um, people go, oh, oh, I need to know a PhD to be able to know a fucking- uh. And when it comes to something computational, you're far better off doing it by yourself anyway, because you're the person who's going to have to deploy it by yourself in the middle of the night. You're much better figuring it out. You're much better doing a Udemy course and fucking spitting up a Jupyter notebook and having a fuck about, you know? You're much, 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 much better doing something like that that's self-taught. Um, so, I think it's exposure. It's like the sheer bulk of the amount of time, years that are being able to sink in within a subject. I mean, that's how you develop other shit, like intuitions and like really broad exposures to different topics, you know? Like something that really crosses the pantheon of all the possible applications everywhere for all the things. Yeah, it's how you develop skills that are sufficiently deep where you can pick up a paper at any point in time for the rest of your life and read it like it was a newspaper. Most people can't do that, right? This is like really, really deep skills is one thing, but for a lot of shit, you don't need really, really deep skills. Let's be honest. You do for some stuff. It's very useful, often. 
especially if you have a empirical kind of job. A lot of the time you don't. You know? You can do an awful lot, Dan, like out in the world. You can do an awful lot with, let's say, uh, a t-test, a chi-squared, uh, a Spearman correlation, a, a bland Altman plot, if I didn't say that already, um, and maybe some... Uh, okay, but I have to like. I feel like I always feel like throwing the entirety of regression in there because it's kind of handy. Um, regression, regression, everything. Just yeah, I, I, I shut up, shut up. We're, we're not doing this now. Um, everything. Like how much? How much of like normative analysis of a thing does that cover? And the answer is fucking huge chunks, like gross chunks of it, right? Did I say anything about the fucking finer points of a Rima modeling inverted dolphin nipple, whatever? No, no, no. I mean, it's necessary, but there's width and breadth and depth to knowledge and understanding, and you don't always need all of them. Anyway, that was easy. (laughs) (laughs) Next question. Where do you see yourselves in five and ten years? James. Um... Well, um, my answer to this is super fucking corporate uh, Either this company will pop and there's a variety of ways that uh, that, will, that will play out, um, all of which involve different bits and pieces of an equity position um, in the future. Um, suffice to say, either I'll have a somewhat different position within a partially acquired company doing the same kind of thing, if the whole thing exists, or I will probably move somewhat laterally to a reasonably similar role. Um, I don't have any ideas I really want to pursue by myself in the medium term when it comes to uh, either a hardware company or a service company. Um, I can't really see anyone offering me a... um, Come back and be the fucking associate professor of whatever. Mm-mm. Not after all the shit I've said. What if, if they what do? If it's the most progressive university in the world. What if associate professor what? in error detection? Uh, that would be an astonishingly hard decision for me to make. Okay. Because I would be sleeping potentially on gross amounts of money, depending on the, the outcomes that that would be competing with. But I think I would find it really difficult to say no to that. Really hard to say no to that. There you go. If you're listening, faculties. They have no, no, no. Because here's, here's the thing. I, I, Dan, I'm getting worse. I can feel it. I'm getting, I, but like, I've just the shits I have left to give about how everything is supposed to be guarded and constructed within language, how it should be said, how we should all conduct ourselves, darling. I'm getting fucking worse. Um, so that feels quite unlikely. You know, even in Australia, where I make some kind of sense, it feels less likely. <laughs> I, I think that what the, about you? The, what about you, fuck guys? I, I think the likelihood of um of, of having a, <laughs> I think the likelihood of <laughs> a position, an associate professor position, <laughs> uh, in Australia doing air protection is, is very very slim. Uh, for me, look, five ten years, um, I'll either have a permanent position or I'll be in industry or doing something else. I don't know. Um, 
it, yeah, it's 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 so hard to predict. But if if by that time I don't have a permanent position, then um then yeah, I'll be seriously considering doing doing something else within industry. But um it is it is it is too too far away. I'm just putting my head down and and seeing seeing where I get to. Yeah, you you're in a real uh, a position where it makes a lot of sense to focus on the now within this stuff. Yeah. Because if you if you keep kicking, I think it's eminently possible. Yeah. Yeah. For you. Um. I mean, this is quite an unusual scenario. There's probably a lot of people who say that to themselves where it really fucking isn't. <laughs> but, but you know, you've you've been the 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 beneficiary of a lot of good fortune. Yes. Um. But not so much. I wouldn't actually say good fortune. More good circumstance. Okay. What's the difference? Um. Because the luck is not sort of, I mean, it doesn't feel like, oh, it's a stroke of luck. You just happen to marry a Norwegian woman and happen to go and fucking live in Norway. Um, you also did that at the exact right time where you knew that you had enough time to put pick up into it and go out and get your job. And then you planned for that shit and you did that shit. That's not, not, that's not luck, right? It's some weird combination of circumstances and opportunity and hard work. And the, all of those things have a, like a middle class availability heuristic fucking there yeah, mixed into them. Yeah. But some of that is, I mean, just to imagine if your wife just happened to be Guatemalan. I have family in Guatemala. <laughs> yes, Stan, I know. <laughs> and it would in many respects be more normal for your life. Yeah. Hmm. Just not so many fucking oil herring university things. No, not at all. So, yeah, that, that, is, that is the plan. Okay, fi- final question. Uh, final question for this for this particular section. What keeps you going, James? Anger. <laughs> okay. Seriously. Yes. I think there's a tremendous lie that there's something negative about being angry. But is that the case for your industry position? Yes. Why? Because I don't like a lot of other products. Okay. Okay. I, get I don't that. like a lot of other people. I don't like. I don't like seeing that things should exist. I don't like seeing things being done wrongly. I have a tremendous amount of happy piratical anger a lot of the time. I figured something. But I'm like, oh, isn't it? Isn't it tremendously debilitating to fucking live like that? No, it's tremendously debilitating work for a startup in general. And all the happy, <laughs> pos- all the happy, positive people who are sharing meditation and tips. Yeah. All those people are getting tired of burning out too, right? And here's me, the fucking hungover, swearing Grinch, fucking steam coming out of both of my ears, doing slight, doing slightly better than them a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, this, this, this might surprise you to hear this, but I'm somewhat similar. It's not, it's not anger, but it's more proving people wrong. I've had so many people in my career tell me, you will mm. never build a career in oxytocin research. You will never get a postdoc. You will never get a position. I'm, you will never I get any grants. I never said that. I never said. I never said you wouldn't I, build a career in oxytocin research. I just said it was boring, and if you were smarter, you'd study something else. <laughs> well, I, I thought you were wrong because I don't. I don't think it's boring. But I've had a lot of people tell exactly, me exactly, <laughs> exactly. I've had. Uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you think it's boring. That is what I think. But I've had a lot of people tell me you will net. You will, you will never get your papers in 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 journals that people read. You will never get grants. You will never get this stuff. And I'm like, I'm going to prove you wrong. 
And I don't know, like a lot of people would say that's not a healthy way to work. No, 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 no. It's not a healthy way, but you you don't sit down at night and sadly jerk off over all the people that you fucking managed to do this to. No. It's like it becomes, it, it's, there's a persistent irritant, but you can, you recognize this. Every unconstrained emotion is unhealthy. Yeah. 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 All yes. of them. Yes. Yeah. I mean, people who take like too, too much ecstasy in the nineties when they had the really pure stuff and they were just walking around like, uncon- unconstrainedly happy and trusting, they all ruin their lives. Yeah, that's that's, right? that's a great that's a great reporting. So yes, that, that, that spite spite that 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 is, that is what drives me spite and proving people wrong. It's not it's it's not it's not it's not really spite. It's more the fact that you thought about it, you made a considered decision, and. I think part of it is the fact that you know that there is a soft target. If other th- people think it can't happen and you can see a clear way into doing it, like you get a North Star out of how they're misconceived, right? And you know how that shit's going to work. But look, what keeps me what keeps me publishing stuff is, I mean, I haven't been able to avoid it the last year. I have had a, I have, I have had a much more successful publication year than I probably had in of like one of my previous academic that, years. That that's interesting. Um, simply because there's been so much. The plague has been. People really can't put this into. Like it's always there. It's always boiling away. Now with Omicron, it is, I mean, I'm sure there are people who are capable of ignoring it completely. There's this weird kind of solipsistic relationship with the fact that everything's fucked. Um, For the rest of us, it's always pushing some button in the control room to some depth. And... It has been a real motherfucker of a year. It really has. I mean, there's a reason I'm having fucking booze for lunch, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) From a mason jar. Oh, yeah. Dan's drinking a cocktail out of a mason. Dan's looking at me like, no, I'm very slightly skeptical that you're making healthy choices right now. (laughs) It's a holiday, mate. It's it's fine. I I know. It's it's 9.40 here in Norway. It's all good. But Um, just just to cap the question off, what keeps me going? I I found a James Baldwin quote the other day that I that I really like. Um I hadn't seen it before. Um which is weird because I'm I'm particularly fond of James Baldwin. Um I like everything. Not only what he said, but how he said it. Guy was a fucking gangster. Um I love America more than any other country in the world. And for exactly this reason, I insist on the right to criticize her perpetually. And I vibe with that hard, but about empirical life and us not trying to kill each other with our inability to 
solve problems and share information and have a common basis of understanding that allows us not to be a dead species instead of an alive species. So I have rewritten it. I love science more than any other institution in the world, and exactly for this reason, I insist on the right to kick her up the hole perpetually. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. That's good. Yeah, there's a positive place in there somewhere. It's just you don't often see it unless I have a cutlass and an eye patch, you dig? <laughs> on that on that positive note, we're going to wrap up this episode proper. We're going to we're going to continue having a chat because there there is more questions. Um, but this is we're going to leave that for the uh, for the for the patron patron episode. Patron oh, this Christmas is going to be a good patron episode this because be I am one. drunk and I'm about <laughs> to get drunker because fuck you all. <laughs> so if you want to listen uh make sure you sign up as a as a everything hurts patron but thank you for listening to this episode um thank, thanks for listening to us all the way through 2021 uh we we love you hurts nation and we'll be back again next year with more with more shenanigans um yes and any final words james to to the hurts listeners proper when you're having that christmas meal and someone winds you up who's in your family or someone who's a slightly invited guest, don't lose your temper. Don't lose your temper. Remember that they don't matter and fuck with them. Figure out a hypocrisy that they've said or something that's a contradiction or something that they don't like and just poke them. Just needle them, poke them, practice. Practice your disdain on your filthy families until you realize that you, not them, hold the power over your own emotions. And when they run screaming from the room, you will know, you will know that the true spirit of Christmas is genuinely not giving a shit.